I think I did guys, gals, and non-binary pals last yes. time, so I think we're going to do that again. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, welcome back to the Carolina Social Club podcast. Uh, with me, we got everybody. We got Brandon, we got Eddie, and then myself, Josh, of course. Uh, you know, um, I think that we have done a lot of shilling of the Discord, and I'm going to do that again. Discord.carolinasocialclub.com to join the conversation we've had we had some very spirited chats last week after our unpopular opinions episode uh so that was fun um this week we're doing doing something a little different uh we are adding to our format uh, in 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 a way that like lets us kind of uh go through some stuff that is in our i think brandon called it in our orbit for for the week and so we're going to talk about we're going to just do a quick react to uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial verdict and the stuff with Activision Blizzard. And uh, we will start with Activision Blizzard because I think Kyle Rittenhouse is going to take a little longer. Um, if you are not aware of what's going on at Activision Blizzard, there's been a lot of like sexual harassment and uh, reports of sexual assault in the workplace and the, you know, the whole frat bro culture thing and, and all that stuff. And it, it came out this week that the CEO uh, not only knew about it, but basically like participated in it. And like uh, there was a report that he threatened to kill somebody who was going to speak out. And uh, I just want to go on the record and say that the Carolina Social Club podcast does not condone any of that shit and fuck Activision Blizzard. Um, like the, the fact that that can happen in a workplace in such a huge company uh, that has such a, a global presence and reach is absolutely ridiculous and uh i just i just can't i just can't do it i've been an i've been an avid blizzard fan for a long time i've played every blizzard game that i can think of that i can get my hands on and i am done um until i see something that resembles like an actual meaningful change so the thing is i, I you know i think activision blizzard i try to figure out what games they brought to us that i have played like blizzard's wow right yeah wow Overwatch, that fucking boat. Activision's, uh, uh, call of duty um diablo right diablo starcraft i haven't played a, haven't played a diablo past two and don't plan to don't plan War, to play the remake either warcraft uh if you ever played that back in the day i mean who didn't play warcraft when they were like nine but yeah yeah, the WoW boat uh, missed me completely. I tried it like twice on a friend's account. I thought it was uh, ugly. I guess I just didn't, it wasn't for me. It, yeah, it clearly right. wasn't for me. Overwatch wasn't for me. It just clearly wasn't for me. Um, but to speak on the actual thing there, uh, not really having much of a dog in that fight as I'm not an extremely avid gamer. Um, CEOs, I don't believe are good people in general i think bad ceos who are bad people are probably far more the norm than the exception i don't know if i'm saying anything too radical there um and it's because there's a certain level of untouchability i mean if they actually harangue this guy and hold him responsible there's they're gonna end up paying him right at yeah a the, uh, he's got a 300 million dollar severance package that's built into his contract Jesus fuck these greedy fucks. Yeah, um I don't really like uh obviously very anti-sexual harassment, uh way anti-death threats and everything. But also when you bake stuff like that in, 
people will act with impunity because they feel untouchable. And even yep. if they do get touched, they're still coming away with $300 million. That so, reminds me, there was a, like a report of a meeting between um, some of the higher ups and the staff and they instituted. So this all started, I think back in August where, Oh, is this the memo you're going to talk about? I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh God. Yes. Okay. Good. This, this all started back in August with like, <clears throat> Uh, I, the California, I don't know the actual name of the organization, but it was like the, the California something or another labor association uh, started an investigation and up suing Blizzard over these things that they had uh, had reported to them or found or whatever. And Blizzard and Activ- Activision Blizzard instituted a no tolerance policy for sexual assault and harassment, which meant that obviously, like, if you were caught doing something like that, your ass is going to get fired. Well, uh, a couple, I guess, days ago or, or sometime earlier this week, they had a meeting and somebody asked, I think it might have been a reporter that asked actually uh, whether or not that was going to apply to Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick, Kotick, Bobby Kotick, I guess is his, how it's pronounced. Um, and the he, he, the reporter got like a corporate bullshit PR answer, and it, basically it comes down to no, it's it's going to apply to everybody but that dude, and that that fucking sucks. I just I I can't with with companies like this to do shit like this. Yeah, that's a that's very fun, very entertaining kind of way to handle business. The thing is, is that as I've gotten older, I have noticed how blatant and obvious corruption is mm-hmm. in today's society and you can openly be a corrupt not just person or play like organization you can be just a corrupt company yep. and no one's going to stop you yeah you know and it's like uh you know eddie's talking about like ceos are are they they're corrupt because it takes a certain kind of person to be a ceo and usually those are the kind of people that they're going to take full advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know? saw it earlier this yesterday with, with uh, the WWE. Like, I know we haven't oh. really talked about pro wrestling on this podcast, but like, we're all, you know, pro wrestling fans and follow that stuff. And we enjoy the, the craps. Yeah. The, the fact of the matter is, is that WWE has fired 35% of its workforce since 2020. Like, that's, that's insane. While reporting record profits and citing this for budget cuts. Like, that's. And SRS says more coming, by the way. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Like, you know, and <laughs> and the other and the other shitbag sleazeball fucking thing that that's being bandied about right now is that um, who was Swerve Scott with his squad? Yeah, Hit Row. Hit Row. Um, the working theory is they brought Hit Row to the main roster because if you get fired when you're on main, then you have a 90 day non complete as opposed to an NXT 30 day non complete. Yep. That's just that's just shit and, bag and behavior. If you're thinking of that though, also Top Dollar was filling himself a lot more than they were comfortable with. Um, well, I don't watch WWE products, so <laughs> no, 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 no. I think no. it was a Twitter thing for him. It was a Twitter thing, man. Uh, he was very, very active on social media, talking about how you know he was very confrontational and, and acted like his spot was pretty untouchable. It was very similar to um, the company's response to Greg Hamilton with his issues. And the way he was acting on social media uh, before he got canned. But to digress away from that, it's it's important to note, like people, you joke about the whole Mitt Romney's corporations are people too. Break that down. 
corporations are people. They're ran by people. This is one of the reasons that critical race theory is such an issue for people because they don't understand people are in these systems. People inherently are biased. That's part of who they are as people. So yep. yeah, people are going to get fired at the whims of someone else. You know, usually an old white person. Usually, because pretty much all corporations exist. Give me, give me, give me one of any like real huge profit margin that's not run by an old white person. It's a white person's club. I mean, yeah, and it's hard. You know, we we can really get into the weeds with that. You want to? We can look at some of the better. (laughs) We can get into the weeds with that for sure. We should. The probably, corporations and stuff like that. Yeah, we should probably just make the uh, that just an episode on itself because, like, while that it's definitely a good a good topic, that's not our topic today. Um, no. But I mean, no. you opened it up. No, I did. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. Like, and he and he's about to follow this thing up with Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah, like, so we're gonna talk. Yeah. We're gonna Which talk is about, also not what our evening no, show is about. We're, we're like, uh, we're just you know going for it. Um, yeah. Next thing is we're we're quick reacting to Kyle Rittenhouse. The verdict okay. there. How quick do you want my reaction? Um, See, there you go. That's exactly right. I, you know, I, I have this theory that uh, anytime that there is a high profile trial over something like this and you see it with like the OJ Simpson case, which I don't know if you guys, you know, Brandon, you're a little older than us, but like we watched the wow. over the, oh, we watched the OJ Simpson trial in uh, school on TV. I was in the yeah. fifth grade. I was in the fifth grade and uh, yeah, I like, even then I was 10 years old. Even then I knew that like there was no way OJ Simpson was getting convicted because the, the burden of proof for, for something like that is just like so strict and stringent and that, you know, the whole beyond reasonable doubt and things like that. All you need to do is just cast one, one like speck of doubt on, on something and, the whole thing is blown. And you saw that with OJ Simpson. You saw it with Casey Anthony. You saw it with George Zimmerman, like, and you saw it with this kid. Uh, I think that the state did not pick the right charges to file against this dude. Um, and I think that that's a big part of why he got to walk away scot-free. All right. the, the other thing before, before, before you go, because I I know once once we turn it over to you, it's we're done for a few minutes. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, you you're literally like we see you revving up, Tess. Yeah, we can feel it. The worst part is I'm actually moving in my chair, like like kind of cocking my legs a little bit, like you know, bobbing my shoulders. Let me yeah, know. So the other thing like, is take a pee break or something. <laughs> yeah, right. The other thing is is that like this is a young Give you a fucking pee break. A young white kid, number mm-hmm. one. And number two, if it weren't a young white kid, this wouldn't have even gone to trial because it would have ended on the night that everything happened, in my opinion. Like, if this were a black kid who had done the same thing, that would be a dead black kid. Like, there's just no question about it in my mind. No question whatsoever. And that was going to be my first point. Let, just fucking let a 17-year-old black child go across state lines, acquire an AR, and shoot three people. And see if any of these Blue Lives Matter cocksuckers ever once shed a fucking tear. Whereas, you know, oh, Kyle's a saint. Yeah. What it's terrible what they're doing to that kid, making him relive. You're making him relive. Making him relive what? You piece of shit. Judge is biased. 
I'll go ahead and, I'll go ahead and start there. Uh, anybody who I've talked to in the law profession is like, I don't know what the fuck this guy's doing because he's going off the rails. Um, unable to call the people who are the victims of gun violence victims. That's a good precedent to set. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse is, uh, is on video uh, saying, or, or at least a witness had corroborated, and he agreed that he did, that they saw some people leaving a CVS that was being looted, and he said, man, I wish I had an AR, I'd shoot some people. Inadmissible. Really? That's inadmissible? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's just fucking infuriating. But, and this is and this is the truth of the matter, I believe, that is, there's, there's no miscarriage of justice because the justice system is built to create outcomes like this. Yeah, I agree with that. 100% it is built to protect white lives. And that's what I'll say about it. That's my, that's my short and sweet. That is, I definitely like a lot more concise than I thought it was going to be. Right. Honestly, I, well, I it's, even, that's not supposed to be the topic of the evening. And if you want me to start going off about things like incel culture, the rise of white supremacy, all that, I can. <laughs> so I will say that uh, we would like to reserve the right to come back to these conversations. Um, sure. And have a more, uh, I would say, complex discussion about these kinds of things. Um, so, you know, I will not preclude us from from revisiting this at, at another point in time when we have maybe some time away from this case and, and things like that, that we can see things like, I, I don't, I don't want to say more objectively, but see things in like a, a just a, a bigger picture lens. You'll okay. If I could chime in here. Yeah. yeah. I haven't had a chance yet. One of the reasons that like Josh is even mentioning that in the first place is because when we sit here and brainstorm, these things, these topics that we were talking about. He's brought up Rittenhouse a few times. This I week. did. Yeah. And I've been very, I've been very reticent because I, I'm, I don't like knee jerk reactions. You know what I mean? And I, and I don't mean that like we're giving them. I mean, like, I don't feel like I could give one adequately um, because I don't like talking out of my ass and I don't like coming from a place of emotion when I'm having to deliver certain bits of information. The Kyle Rittenhouse thing, there's a lot that I can talk about there. Um, and I like to, when I know that there's a lot to talk about, <clears throat> I do my research before I talk about it. Because if I talk out of my ass, I don't want it to be a situation where down the road, you can bring this back up because this is literally the the recorded record. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, wait a minute, dude. You said this, but then you went and did research and you did this. Like, Why did you even talk about it like that in the first place? I, I don't want to come from a place of like ignorance of anger because yeah. n- ignorant. No, no, no. I'm ignorant as fuck. So I'm fine with that. No anger. <laughs> because Fair. when I come from a place of anger, I'm not going to say anything productive to the argument. And that's what's going to bother me. Yeah. Um, so I'll be more reserved when we do these kind of conversations. Um, we talk about corrupt CEOs. Yeah. I've never really been one, so I can talk that shit. I have been a white dude holding a rifle in public before, and I can tell you it's a lot easier than people expect, you know, until, of course, you're not a white dude, and then that's a whole different story. But, yeah, you know, it, it's... The only thing I can say is that when we were talking about this brainstorming, I was, like, constantly wanting to think about, like, 
please tell me we can come back to it because I do want to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. I do want to talk about all these trials that have occurred and Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, and you know somebody else's lives matter until they really don't. Um, because there's a lot that we can talk about there. The issues that you're going to see with Kyle Rittenhouse and the fact that he's he's been made into this martyr of sorts, a hero, is that it was a, a pathetic trial. And all it really did was create a new right-wing talking head for Newsmax to use. So until this dude, and like I said in private, like until this dude gets caught beating his wife or saying some dumb shit in a manifesto, Congratulations, y'all. We just made a new right-wing hero. Yep. Yay, good for oh, us. He's not, he's not going to be relegated to Newsmax. That's where people on their way out go. <laughs> yeah, he'll- that, dude, that dude's going to be a congressman if somebody didn't cap him before then. Bro, you start you start low. Like He's 18. He's going to build his base Matt up. Gatz is already saying they want that he wants him as an intern. Yeah, I saw that, too. Like, it's, That's it's, because he is a young, a, he is barely the not one. a minor boy. Okay, of course Matt Gatz wants him. If it, were, if, it were, if it were not unfashionable to praise someone like Dylan Roof, then they would do it. Flat out. Uh, yeah. I think, I think my main takeaway here is that I've just more or less, the main thing I'm mostly disappointed in is like fucking Ricky Schroeder, man. He just ruined my silver spoons. <laughs> That said, is there any other fun topics of the day that we want to talk about? No, I think I think that's I think that's good. I haven't really been on Twitter all day, so <laughs> that's probably, probably think, a good thing. I think most of it's probably going to be about Rittenhouse, given who I follow, and it's going to be a lot of you know, well, echo chambery stuff, yeah, likely. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Take comfort in it in times of strife. Yeah, I I've got nothing else besides uh, those two things really, and uh, then we can get into our our uh, big big conversation. And, and the the episode that we're going to do today is is about um, mental health and in particular men's mental health. Uh, oh wait, wait, real quick, guys! Happy early Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too, dude. Okay. Yeah. Happy early one. I know this is going to be stretched out for a while. But, you know, in case we don't say it before, because we don't have much to talk about with cornucopias over here. But happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, enjoy food. I love food. That, that's the only reason I brought this up, because I knew <laughs> that we're riding into men's mental health and we hadn't mentioned food once yet. That's we true. Failing we as a podcast. We had. That's true. We've gone like 20 minutes without mentioning food. My kids daycare gave us a frozen pecan pie today. And I got to tell you guys. That right there, that's the kind of place that I would spend money to keep my kid at. I'm just surprised you're eating frozen. I'm not eating it right now, man. It's going to thaw out, okay? <laughs> I'm surprised that you're going to eat frozen then. My dinner tonight was a beef pot pie. I am not a man of scruples. I'm sorry. After you stalked me right in the pecker about barbecue for an hour straight, I figured I'd you know, try barbecue. to call your southern bona fides into question. That is a frozen pecan pie. I will cut you over cold pork, motherfucker. But you're coming at me with arrows and pecans. I'm going to take it frozen, raw, bareback. I don't care. I'll take it however you give it to me, baby. I like that pecan pie, dog. 
Don't come at me like that. I, I, I will come at you whatever way I want to. You better not. You better not. You better stay, stay over there. Josh, get him. Get your friend. I'm, I'm not participating in this. Goddamn. Talk about men's mental health. Goddamn. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we are going to start our conversation on men's mental health. And it's going to be a ride, I think. All right, ladies and gentlemen, guys and gals, and my minor pals, and anybody else who might be listening, uh, we're back. We're going to get into men's mental health. Um, I've been informed that the word episodes has been shortened to sodes by the kids. Nope. Nope. Let's go ahead and just not do that. Um, so that's, that's something I learned over the break. And uh, yeah, um, I don't really have a great way to launch into this topic so i will maybe do it ah. <clears throat> so guys this was my push uh to do this today for a litany of reasons um we are one of, one of the impetus like one of the things that really we we wanted to create this podcast for in the first place was to give people the chance to hear from three Southern men in today's society who really buck the stereotype about what you might think of when you think of Southern men um, or just Southern people in general, because I think whenever we think of Southern people, you know, there's a lot of ass backwards mentality and there's a lot of people that, that look at Southerners with derision and, and shame. Um, not that there's no reason for that. Um, but we are not those types of people. Uh, we've all known each other for a good long time, and we've had the opportunity to learn uh, about each other beyond the, the superficial and really come to understand who we are, not just like as, as men, but as people. Um, and one of the things that we've all really understood about each other is that we all have, you know, problems. Um, and it sounds bad when I say it like that, but you understand, those of you listening at home, we are not um, we are not anything if not human. And so when you hear from someone like, let's say, Eddie, who is a very intelligent, a very funny um, kind of guy, there are real things that have happened in his life that has shaped who he is. Um, Josh? He's okay as I'm, a person, yeah, I guess. I'm, a, I'm all right. Um, <laughs> but, but things have happened to shape him. And when you, you hear me, and ladies, fellas, you definitely hear me, um, things shape us, okay? And <clears throat> for a lot of us, we grew up in a world where we were told talking about the things that shape us is not a good thing. Um, and one of the things we wanted to do with this podcast was normalize that, take that, take that 
stuff that we were told and tell it to fuck off. We're all adults now, you know, and that means we really have the opportunity here to let people who are hearing us understand, you know, that we, um, we don't have to live like that. So I want us to talk about our mental health today. Um, we're not going to be able to talk about the ins and outs of like mental damage or, or scarring. And this is not necessarily a therapy session, um, but it is a chance for our listeners and for each other to kind of hear us as people. Um, speaking just for myself, I intend to be vulnerable um, in a way that I can be very uncomfortable with doing. Um, and I hope, you know, Eddie, Josh, you guys, that we can, you know, kind of open up for this uh, episode. And it's going to go long. You know, we're going to have a lot to say. Um, and we want to give ourselves time to breathe here. So um, just to get it out of the way, there may be things that are said in this conversation that may trigger you. Um, both parties here and those listening. Um, that is not our intention, but it may be an issue for you. Um, it, yeah. Please tell us, you know, in the discord, um, send us messages, however you need to, so that we can talk to you about these things that may have caused you issue or, or things that you may have felt triggered by. Okay. Because at the end of the day, the Carolina social club, is a safe space as as stereotypical as that may sound this is a safe space whoever may come on the show as a guest you can say what you want to say and we're going to start that conversation right now i don't know who's going to start that conversation but one of us will i have a garbage brain <laughs> i mean that's the uh, official term that i've decided to to provide it, I understand that's uh, negative wording, and I've been told that that's a uh, slippery slope for me. Um, that much is accurate. I spiral pretty heavily a lot of times, but it's the most succinct way I can put my particular combination of uh, manic depressive tendencies, severe anxiety, and um, I wouldn't necessarily call it suicidal ideation. I, you know, can I can I sideboard just to talk about? suicidal ideation as a thing yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah let's yeah, just yeah. get heavy right out the gate you know? I, 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 <laughs> let's I go nice say, and light i will say you know as this is almost like a baby of mine like if if i want to treat this like a conversation you yeah. don't have to feel like you're on a platform talking alone no okay? no no we're, I just, not, we're not so no I'm, I'm telling like all of us here okay you know so if you want to when you start talking about this stuff you know we're just going it's a conversation yeah. So you want to talk about suicidal ideation? Cool. Because I'm going to talk about some suicidal shit myself, dog. So let's do this. Well, and that's and that's kind of where you know this is this is some very dumb stuff that I think the patriarchy really does to us, where we don't want to admit that that we have a problem that is quote unquote serious, right? Yeah. Like okay. like we may have issues. Like the thing that I've struggled with for some time is. Like, you know, for me, I, I would want to define a difference between like, have you ever thought about killing yourself and actual legitimate suicidal ideation? 
And what I realized I was doing uh, for a lot of that was just going, I mean, you know, yeah, I think about suicide, but not like think about, think about suicide because I don't have a real problem, you know? <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Like it, it's one thing to think about, Oh, what would it be like if I killed myself versus <laughs> like, uh, taking a gun and actually putting it to your head. Yeah. Actually having a plan, but you know, I guess the, the thing for me, that's kind of, my brain is very overactive in a lot of ways. Um, I think a lot about a lot of things and, you know, that's something that I think of, I wouldn't say with regularity, but probably more than what I assume a normal person does. Mm. You know, the thing is, there's really not a way for me to have that conversation with someone who's not a professional. Like, I can't just, you know, call up my sister and be like, hey, how often do you think about suicide? Right. You know, you as somebody with with what I assume is a normal brain, even though I know we've both been in therapy, you know, just it's it's just, you know, that is, I think, in a lot of ways, it's it's sort of considered to be the the worst thing, you know, when it, that's, that's the logical endpoint of depression. Right. If you're going to attach logic to it, I mean, I well, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, I just, I, I wish it were, were easier to have frank discussions about. So that's why I like that we're doing this. Yeah. I, so for me, I, I think that like, it's, it's one of those things where, it's one, it's one thing to conceptualize it. And like you said, it's, it's another thing to actively plan it. And I would say that I don't know that there is a, there isn't an, an actual quantitative amount that is normal to think about something like that. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's such a complex issue. And then you compound that with the fact that like everybody is completely unique in their story and, and all that stuff. And it's just like, you know, I think that if you if you don't think about death and your end, however that may be, I I almost I don't want to say like you're doing yourself a disservice because that sounds like I'm promoting like <laughs> considering killing yourself, but like I I just I think that there should be more conversations about what the end of life is supposed to be like. Um, and and I, I guess I, in some ways touched on that in the last episode with assisted suicide, um, you know, and not to like curve it on your time, but like, you know, when, when my mom got sick a couple of years ago, one of the things that like, honestly, it was before she got sick, but when she was still like super healthy, she was like, listen, I don't want to live my life the same way or, you know your your grandfather did uh, and my grandfather famously had like a bunch of health issues and that just like lent lent themselves to a pretty terrible quality of life experience as his health diminished down to nothing um it's just so she was like i'm gonna set up a dnr i want these exact things to happen after i die and that's it like i don't want there's not going to be any argument or discussion or anything like that. And it was one of those things that for me was really like, just a very weird conversation to have with your parent um, and possibly inappropriate. I'm not, I don't know, you know, um, I think it's, I think it's inappropriate because we've, in our 
culture, we don't know how to talk about this. Yeah. That's just the flat truth. There's, there's no easy way to have the conversation. And, you know, we, you know, oh, I thought I think they'll be with me forever, you know, and, and all this. And we need to be able to have that conversation more frankly, I think. I agree. I think, I think it I would help wanna... me, especially because I've got a massive, massive. It, it's, it's, you know, of course, the great uh, dichotomy of the human brain. Um, I have thought about suicide more than once. The concept of death frightens me above all things. So, real quick, um, guys, this is, and I just to chime in here. One thing that I'm noticing just hearing what you guys are talking about, like mm-hmm. when you the terms inappropriate and normal um yeah the struggle that i think that we're we're all gonna have um is, is understanding like the, what that truly means just for us um because a lot of our issues that we're gonna that, that we're gonna have in our lives is going to be based around understanding what other people have considered normal because when you think about what normal is so much you only think about it in the sense of you're not it. And that right there inherently already puts you on the outskirts of something that you, you shouldn't be thinking like that. You know, <clears throat> you talk about not feeling like not, not being normal. Um, it's pretty normal. I think um, to, to have these, these thoughts and what, what questions, what conversations are inappropriate or appropriate it kind of falls down to the relationship you have with the person. Sure. And I just don't want, you know, I don't want that to go by in this conversation without chiming in. Like, well, don't get stuck on that. I guess let me elaborate on why I I feel like I don't necessarily feel like it's inappropriate because of the, of the subject matter. I feel like it's inappropriate because of the parent child relationship potentially. Um, I, I don't, I, found myself in situations as I was growing up where, uh, and, and even like into my twenties and thirties, like where I was in, a, uh, the, the parent child relationship for me was a lot more like adult, adult, adult instead of parent child. Um, and that manifested in all kinds of ways, including discussions about death. And, and like, after, after my mom died, like my dad came to me and he was like, we need to set up power of attorney for me. And, and that kind of thing. And I'm, and I'm sitting here, I'm like, I'm 30 at that point, I was 35 years old. And I'm like, I don't I, like, I just, we, we just lost one. I don't want to fucking think about like, you know, losing you too. It's just, I, my, my family is weird. Um, just in general, but as it pertains to this particular subject too, and that like, everybody that I, that I know that in my family that has died, like I've been close to that in my family that has died has, has been like very much at peace with the end of their life. Um, even, even my mom who died when she was 60, uh, and, and to kind of like further give context to that, she would tell people regularly, she's like, I'm not going to live past 60 years old. Like she, even when she was super healthy, like, you know, all that stuff, she would say like, I'm 60 is it. I know I'm going to die when I'm 60. And, and that's, that's what happened. And, uh, we like morbidly, we will joke like, you know, she kind of made that happen for herself, but like, 
it, it's just that my my family's relationship with death is is very is to to me like just seems very not what you know like you said not what like normal is supposed to be but then again you know you don't know what normal is right like normal for me is nor is not necessarily normal for for you or for you eddie or or, or anything like that so it's I don't now, know. I will, I will say, as you talk about your family and the weirdness, um, it, it sounds like regular stuff to me. Okay. You know, thinking about ways to you want to you want to plan out a routine, like putting myself in your father's shoes, not knowing anything else about the situation. Um, if his his partner has just passed, and his it was his partner that helped give him to like kids you're gonna want to make sure that those kids are okay because now they're down a parent yeah and you want to make sure that they don't have to think about this when the time comes and it's also kind of like i would imagine a, a way for him to grieve itself because he's going to feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that you guys don't have to worry about that for him i will say that after she died there was a, a lot of um everything was very pragmatic and almost like a plan was being followed in, in some ways. And just like one thing after another, everybody, you know, had their role to play and, um, and that kind of stuff. And, and that was comforting at the time, but I, I think that, uh, and I can't speak to my brother or, or my dad, but for me, it, uh, delayed, the ability to grieve for me um because like i mean i don't know if you i don't know if you remember or not but like right after it happened i was back like chatting with people and like doing my normal stuff and and things like that like pretty much the next day and yeah, uh recall, weren't you almost like trying to schedule a time to go grieve yeah i i mean i did like i happened to have already taken the week of thanksgiving off we just we we just had the anniversary of uh her passing like literally yesterday so um i had taken the week of thanksgiving off and that's when i was supposed to grieve but i just did normal family stuff like i went to we went to my brother's house for thanksgiving we told stories about my mom uh but like it I, I wouldn't have called that grieving. I don't think I actually started grieving until like probably the beginning of, of 2021. And you have grieved now. Um, to some extent. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's weird because I don't have like a, you know, a relationship with God, like a, a lot of other people do. Um, it's weird for me when, when some things happen, like I have dreams a lot about like, about my mom and doing things with my mom, but I know in the dream that she's dead and like further research is, is has apparently told me that like, those are visitations, uh, which is, you know, kind of, it's kind of cool to think about, but the, the rational part of my brain is like, but is it really though? Or is it, or is it just like an elaborate, like, brain scheme to you know put on a movie while i'm while i'm resting you know what i mean sure yeah so i get that i mean either way i think it's neat yeah, is, yeah. It, is it are you truly resting when you're having a vivid dream about your mother 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's rare for me to remember dreams. So when I do remember right. them, it's it's because it was I was pretty deep in the rim for sure. Yeah. So yeah, it's um one thing that I find that we will say and we will come back to frequently in this course of this conversation is our individual relationships, not just with spirituality, but with death and what that may mean for us. Um, and while I don't know if Eddie, you, you have suicidal ideation, because I know that you were just talking about that. And I want to Yeah, I'm, I'm to sorry. It. I totally like Bogart. No, no, you're no, good. No, 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 no. This, is, this needs to be free form. The reason, the reason that I, I didn't say anything is because I'll be honest with you, your mother, the anniversary of her passing was literally this week. Yeah. Yeah. This yesterday was fresh in you. Yeah. Okay. So like it's, it, it is okay. We will have the opportunity for all of us to talk about how we're feeling. You know, at the end of the day, if you mourn in silence by yourself, or if you mourn with others, it's, it's important for you to know that, you know, you, you have a good base that you can come back to, to kind of work through these thoughts, you know? Yeah. People, people, people talk about like God and their relationship with God and, and, and how that helps them with that sort of thing. And that's dope. That's great for those people. Yep. You know, but if it ain't your journey, dude, it ain't your journey. Like you, you've got to find something else that will get you through, you know, because my, my, my mention on spirituality and religion before I turn it back over to Eddie here is just that like, I don't, um, we've talked about it before if i die and i was like and god is up there like yo man like what the fuck like why don't you go to church <laughs> i'm gonna I'm be like well real talk dude if you are gonna keep me out of here because i didn't go to this building i'm not trying to be here anyway but if you're gonna let me in because i was a decent human being then cool i didn't need to believe in you i did right yeah and you know, if it is a matter of, of belief, I'm not sure I'm down with all that, which is which is really hard considering, you know, all my in-laws are black churchgoers. <laughs> 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 but anyway, um, I want to go back to, to Eddie here because, you know, we were joking about him being an enigma and it would be cool to know more about him. I mean, yeah, it's it's funny because you mentioned you mentioned uh, one's personal relationship to God. And I'm, I am, I can say confidently, probably the uh, most religious uh, queer communist uh, that I know, at least. <laughs> so, like I've got a, I've got a very strong and 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 I think uh, quality relationship with God, but but you know death still is a concept. I think there's actually a term for, for what I deal with. Um, thanatophobia maybe, but the actual concept of it freezes me. Like even thinking about, you know, what's going to happen once the lights are out, so to speak. Yeah. Like I will lose sleep for a day if I go down that path too far mentally. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a really tough thing to have that conversation like with my mom, because, you know, my mom, um, remarried after she divorced my father, um, to a man who's 
you know, a, a, I think 12 years older than her. So it's not really a question. The estate planning is going to fall to myself and my sister. You know, that's just how it's going to be. And she wants on the record. This is what she wants. I, I can have that conversation. You know, it doesn't really mess me up too bad. But if I think about myself, I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, I, I get super, super, super anxious and weird, which I'm trying not to be right now. Does, does this kind of freak you out to have this conversation? I like my heart rates up, but I'm not like, I'm not going down the, the path because I'm not talking about me dying. I'm talking about my relationship with thinking about me dying, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. I've got a little bit of distance, so I'm good. You know, it's, it's just, it's, I can be a little bit clinical because I'm just distanced a little bit. Um, you know, something I wanted to ask you guys, uh, because I, I did do a lot of thinking about this in the, uh, lead up to this episode. Um, I share a lot of traits and a lot of what I suspect, um, although I don't think she ever went to therapy, uh, I share a lot of traits and what I suspect are, are a lot of the same mental issues that my grandmother had. Do you have people in your families who your particular uh, mental outlook or uh, mental health issues that you experience um, strangely kind of match yours? Absolutely. Yep. Same. It's actually my mom, which um, I, I think like, because it's my mom that made her, her passing like a lot harder for me. Um, yeah. you know, we talked about a lot growing up that, that my brother was just a lot more like my father and I was just a lot more like my mother. And, uh, that's true. And, and almost there in a lot of ways, like as I've gotten older, it's the, it's kind of trended more towards the middle, but you know, I'm still very much my mom's son. Yeah. Um, for me, it's, um, my brother. Um, and, and when, you know, I get the talking pillow, I'll, I'll probably elaborate a little deeper on that. Um, he and I only made this connection maybe a year and a half ago that we had more in common mentally than we thought we did before. Um, one of the things that I have always fought with um, in adulthood is not wanting to be like my parents. Um, and I don't mean that like teenager, like, I hate you, mom and dad. But I mean, like... Um, not wanting to make the same mistakes with my mental things that they did or that they do. And so what that has caused is like in part is a little bit more distance between me and my parents. And so it's really, it's harder for me to tell you mentally what we share. Um, I know that my father and I have a lot of the same anxiety and I know that my mother and I handle stress the same way. Um, yeah. And what that usually will culminate in, like just speaking just on my mom, um, is that my mom and I are very self-destructive whenever yeah. we are stressed. Um, mom was or is, I honestly don't know for sure, 
uh, heavily into alcohol to avoid it. Um, and every time that I have done that, used alcohol as a means to try to avoid dealing with the issues that were in my head at the time, it has caused severe impacts that resonate. And honestly, some of them changed my life like forever. Um, and for my mom, it got to the point where her health um, would be in jeopardy. Like her heart is jacked up now as a result. And she can't drink anymore as much. Um, whereas if you go and you see my sisters, you know, like fucking water faucets, how much they drink, which is constantly boring. Um, but my family is filled with people that mask their, their mental stuff with things that if you took the time to look past it, you could see that there was a hurt there that needed to be fixed. Right. But so much of it was lashing out at others and trying their best to break away um, any chance of weakness being shown, any vulnerability. Um, unless that weakness could be used to foster a, a level of pity that could be manipulated later. Um, because I've seen that many, many a time. And, and then I'll, like I said, I'll talk about it in a little bit. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, absolutely 100%. See, for my grandmother, and, and, these, and these are things that, like, I'll catch myself engaging in these sorts of activities. They're all really just symptoms of depression. But, you know, I, I, I catch myself and go, no, nah, you're, you're being grand right now about this. Um, you know, over time, she withdrew so heavily from the world to the point where I was the only person she saw on a day in day out basis for a year, you know? Um, and she would live in not squalor, but she was a, a definitively a hoarder. Um, it took us, Oh Christ. Um, it took us probably four months and at least five of those like 30 foot long, they'll drop it off at your house dumpsters mm. to empty out her place. Like it was just a, a truly almost impressive amount of stuff. But I, I catch myself doing a lot of that. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of squalor my space up a little bit and have things kind of stacked around me. And I don't really have her drive to collect more, but it's almost like, you know, the mess is easy. One of the things that is very true about mental health, I think for anybody is, you know, your problematic shit becomes really comfortable. It becomes your security blanket. I think mm -hmm. I can see that, you know, because, because you know it, Yeah. you know, yeah, it's not healthy for you and you know you shouldn't, but you know it. And if you know it, then at the very least, you're exerting some level of control over your immediate surroundings, the world around you, you know. So, but it's it's crazy because as the older I get, the more I seem to embody what she went through. And I look at something like, um, you know, my grandmother came from a, a, a sizable sibling pool and a lot of her siblings as they as they 
age, they become more and more like that. So I, I have to wonder if, you know, that's just something that is sort of, uh, you know, like, like they used to call it the gene, you know, <laughs> I, wonder if that's, I wonder if that's our gene to become sort of isolated coot ass hermits. <laughs> I mean, there's, I, I, I get that because there's a, that, in one way, there's like a comfort in becoming an isolated old ass hermit, just in the sense that like, for me, it's, it's that I wouldn't have to like rely or be a burden on somebody else. And I think that's a big part of like people's God, that, life burden, that burden thing is heavy, isn't it? Yes. That, no yeah. pun intended. Like real talk. As soon as you said it, <sighs> I was like, oh, God damn. Yeah. Immediate reaction. <laughs> immediate like physical oh yeah the burn thing <laughs> honestly one of the things that stops my suicidal tendencies from going too deep or too far is honestly the fear of being a burden for someone yeah and 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 that's and that's they honestly most of the time you know the few times that i've actually had serious consideration which probably we're talking three or less few actual consideration moments um where i was like okay i could do x or y um the main thing that held me back was not you'll be dead you know <laughs> the main thing that held me back was well then someone's gonna have to deal with this mm -hmm. and it's not even just your your remains it's it's what it does to people you actually do care about exactly exactly um i know that at my darkest point where I wanted to do it and I actually created a plan and I like had the weapon and all that stuff. One of the major things that stopped me was like understanding like, oh, what about the impact this is gonna have on other people? It's too, not even thinking about the trauma of being found, like I said, but, you know, recognizing that you actually will be missed. Yeah. You know, and th yeah. that what you're doing, or what you're thinking of doing, will impact others, and that will hurt others. And the last thing that, for me, whenever I wanted, anytime that I have wanted to end my life, um, my desire for pain to stop extends to other people as well. And knowing that I would cause pain to others hurts more than anything that would make me actually go through with it. And this is weird, like masochistic cycle, because I'll find that I will stick around purely because I feel like I could handle dealing with that pain longer than the loved ones I would put through it. So. <sighs> Yeah, heavy, yeah. heavy times, every time today, everybody. <laughs> Man, I think you did touch on. I mean, you touch on something that's real important, though, and that's and that's kind of this. Uh, I think I think the the biggest pitfall for myself and probably for a lot of folks is uh, feedback looping. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, have the bad thought, clear the bad thought out of your head. Yeah, man, you're a piece of shit for having the bad thought. Okay, well, now you're depressed. So then you have the bad thought again, and then you clear the bad thought, 
and then you're a piece of shit for having the bad thought again. You know, <laughs> like you really have to worry worry about spiraling sometimes in this kind of just circuitous thing. It's very Ouroboros-y, you know. Mm-hmm. If yeah. I pronounced that right, which I probably didn't. I think it's close enough. If you if you guys don't know what it is, you know, Google it. Yeah, you gotta go to your local library. Said, yeah, exactly. <laughs> read, oh yeah, read, read a book. Read a book, guys. <laughs> Your local library is out oh, there. I mean, so- I meant more support your local library. They need it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. I love the local library. I love a library. But, uh, I mean, that's that's my stuff. I mean, I don't want to downplay um, what I've dealt with. I, I certainly think that uh, there are a few points in my life that I can kind of point to and say these are definitive moments where my mental health got worse because of external things that occurred to me. Um, I think I carry a lot of that trauma. I think likely the greatest source of trauma for me is completely unresolved. Um, and I don't know that it ever will be. Uh, but I, I keep wanting to say that's neither here nor, but that's literally here. <laughs> that's literally yeah. why. I mean, it's here and yeah. there, dude. Like, come on. Uh, so... <clears throat> My biological father didn't want anything to do with me. Or rather, he does, but he doesn't understand how to have a relationship with me. Um, Not on any terms that I consider acceptable, only on his terms. And it has been shockingly easy for him to basically give up in a certain, in a sort of fashion that's like, you know, well, he's not going to do what I want. So we're not going to have a relationship. And sometimes that really, really bugs me. Sometimes it, and it it comes out in weird backwards, upside down ways. I was talking with somebody and uh, their son was getting a little bit older. And I was like, I made some offhanded comment about like, you know, yeah, your husband can teach him how to, how to grill. And she said, well, I can teach him how to grill. And without even realizing it, I got really serious. And I was like, no, 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 he needs to teach him because hmm. not everybody gets that. And like, I got teary. I'm getting misty right now. And I realized, oh, you've got a whole lot of unresolved shit about this. But it's difficult when that resolution, I don't think requires someone else, but would be a whole lot fucking easier with the other person, you know. Do you um do you get to talk to him much now? We haven't spoken in three and a half years. Okay. Prior to that, we hadn't spoken for seven. Was it a was it a? And the last time y'all spoke was it like a fight or was it just kind of like a? No, no. This is this is the fucking. So my dad had a really bad stroke, and uh, my stepsister reached out to me. You know, hey your dad had a stroke, you know, it, it mean a lot to him if you could go see him. And I was like, Oh yeah, fuck. Yeah. Done. You know, but, and, and I, and I said this too, and I'm like, you're going to see him before I see him. I don't want any fucking, we haven't talked to one another. Why shit? Because one of the things that he's done, cause we've orbited in and out of one each other's lives for, at least six times, uh, you know, since I became an adult at this stage. And one of the things he 
wants to do is to shame me for not communicating with him when a lot of the times lack of communication is his decision. Hmm. And I don't want to deal with that because I don't want there to be the fight. And maybe it's better if we do hash it out and just have a knockdown drag out. I don't fucking know. So I visited him a couple of times. We talked a little bit, you know, plans were made. You know, I'd like to see you guys, et cetera, et cetera. And the last time I talked to him, he messaged me and he's like, Hey, we need some people to move some stuff around the house. Can you find someone and we'll pay you both $150. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm working today, but I'm off on Thursday. I could probably get somebody then uh, with that work. And he said, we got somebody. Thanks. And that's the last time I spoke with him. Hmm. Right. Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's almost to me like he does not actually, I don't think that he, I think at least part of it is he doesn't want to have a relationship with me because I am a lot like my mother. And I think that doesn't jive well. And if it did jive well, they'd probably still be together. Um, and I think that he wants me to absorb blame so that he feels no guilt. He wants me to be a sin eater, basically. So I'm not obviously a licensed professional in this field. Um, but that sounds like a narcissist to me, like textbook narcissism. One one is forcing all the expectations onto the child and not, uh, living up to your own end of the bargain is like one of the biggest hallmarks of, of a narcissistic parent to me. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, you know, it's, I still sometimes feel guilt yeah because you know well maybe i should maybe i should maybe i should and i catch myself and you know i have to remind myself this is no longer a ball that is in your court you do not have possession here at this stage an effort has to be made for you to be able to engage with him in a healthy manner and but you know like clockwork i would say at least once every year i just go hey, you know, I, should, I should give him a call you know what it comes down to mm-hmm. you are not responsible for anybody else's happiness except for your own that's exactly right and you know and i don't want to make it sound like it's it's this thing that that ruins me or wrecks me because i have a very happy life but it does kind of hang as this kind of you know vulture in the sky you know a, a cloud somewhere like this is still unresolved and as, as shitty as it sounds, I don't know if I'm ever going to get that resolution until either he completely changes, which as a man of like 66, he's not going to. Right. Um, or you or bend. dies because I'm not bending. Right. I'm yep. just, I'm just playing not. I made that promise to myself last time this shit happened and the stroke thing, you know, that'll break through that. Sure. Go, oh shit. Okay. Some serious health shits on the line. I better, you know, set aside my ego or whatever and, you know, just, just bite the bullet. But, you know, I just, I don't want to put myself in a situation where I am expected to do all of the work of repairing a relationship. And that's what he wants out of me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's your boundary. Um, I'm talking a lot guys no i mean like so okay let me 
branch off of that because last last year my my grandmother was in april uh died of covid and that was my mom's mom and uh my mom did not go up to see her they had had kind of a strained relationship over the last couple of years that's a, a long story that is not for this podcast um but like my mom was very she she was very concerned about whether or not she would be looked down upon because she didn't go see her mom before her mom died uh, from her, before my grandmother died. And I remember having that, like she was, uh, my mom was at, at her best, like had it all together. Excellent, but was still emotional and at her worst, like definitely needed to have definitely needed to be on a, on the antidepressants that she was on. Otherwise, like it got out of control and we're having a conversation and she's just like in tears because she feels like she's a horrible person for not going to see her mother before her mother died. I'm like, mom, it, it, it's tough. Like, yeah, I get it. You know, you feel that level of responsibility. And I think it's common in more, uh, more common in that generation to feel responsible for uh, managing a relationship with your parents or, you know, in this case, my, my grandparent. And, um, and I said, but you guys had a, like a really shitty relationship the last several years. Like, and you know, some of that might've been your fault. And a lot of it was, was her fault and her being my grandmother. I just want to make that clear. Um, but like, ultimately, like you, you made the decision not to, you felt like you, you know, that wasn't the appropriate thing for you to do. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like, you were wrong. I think you're right. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't think you're a bad person at all because that's the decision you made like that. You, you made, you set that boundary and you know, if you regret it, that's, that's one thing, but I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think that you should like you, you made a conscious decision. And I, I think that it was a decision that was best for your own mental health because like, when, when I talk about just going to visit my grandmother, that's not, you know, that's not the whole story, right? Because to go visit my grandmother, you'd have to visit your sister. And that's a whole other can of worms that has its own other set of problems and things that need to be addressed or needed to be addressed. And like, it's a lot like you can't, you know, you just, you just can't put that, that weight on yourself and those expectations on yourself. If you, if you're not, 100% comfortable with doing so. And I don't, I don't think that she was being fair to herself for uh, feeling so guilty about not going up. And like in my unprofessional, like totally biased towards you opinion, I don't think that like uh, you're being fair to yourself either. You're not responsible for, for your relationship with him. Like that's, that's something that in a healthy relationship you work on together. And it, it doesn't sound like he wants a healthy relationship. It sounds like he wants a relationship where you do what he wants and he doesn't have to put any effort in. It's and important to remember with a situation like that. Um, you can put the narcissist cap on it um, because I'm, I firmly agree that that's what that is because, you know, we'll get into me in a minute, but you know, my father's the same way. Understand his mentality is coming from a whole generation where, you know, kids do all the work just in general 
Yeah, that's yeah. what I was about to you bring are, up is I really think we are talking about a generational difference. You're the remote control. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like our, our generation is the one that the TV didn't have a remote because you had a kid. Um, and so that meant you're the one that does the lifting. Yeah. You're the one that, that does the grunt stuff. You bust the table after they cook the meal, mm-hmm. so to speak, so that you are looking at a man who just based off the stuff you're saying, like it's not coming from a place of love or anything like that, because he probably doesn't understand what that even really means. No, it's coming from a place of control. It's coming from a yep. place of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because, you know, in his world, theoretically, it sounds more like the more you let him control is the more that you show that you love him. And I've noticed that a lot with the generations that came before us. Um, And if you don't have that in the generation that comes before you, you're a very lucky person. Um, And again, one of the reasons I'm glad that we do this here is, is understanding that that shit stops. Like that shit stops here. You know, Um, I, I will just as a quick aside, you know, my wife, um, in one of our conversations about the things going on with me, um, she told me that like the stuff that had happened was affecting me and it was affecting the way I was with the kids and stuff. And I said, well, how she goes, because it's in you and you live with it. And I said, it's in me and it never comes out of me. You know, I live with it. You know, I live with those feelings, but they're going to die with me. They're not, I'm not going to do to my kids what happened to me. And I'm like, I'm not trying to act like I'm some fucking superhero dad. But if the bare minimum of being a good parent is not put my kids through the shit that I went through, if it dies with me, like if I have to live with it the rest of my life because I don't know how to handle it properly, but my kid goes through life not feeling that, I'm a good fucking dad. Yeah. So. I will say that when it comes to how my parents are, uh, I've been very fortunate. Um, You know, the hardest thing for me is that, like, I was gifted and talented at some stuff. And so there were a lot of expectations that were put on me as a result of that. Uh, And I think that, like, a lot of that, and I, I, you guys can chime in on that if you want, but a lot of that is just a product of the times where like every kid needed to be special and every kid needed to have like, you know, something that was unique to them and special to them or whatever. And uh, I, I was not immune to that. Um, it was made very clear to me at the like onset that, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so I needed to be really good at something if I wanted to go to college. And as as much as it might be like kind of like a silly okay whatever kind of thing that's something that i carried with me like uh when i was six seven eight years old and i thought to myself because you know at that time as i'm sure you guys you know will remember the whole plan is you go to high school then you go to college and you graduate from college and you get a job and you're on with your life and 
So like the expectation there was that if I didn't find a way to put myself through college, that I was going to fail at life. And I know that because I know them, that's not what they like intended, but how, you know, how can you tell Right. How can you tell a kid like, we don't have enough money to put you through college. So if you want to go, you're going to have to figure it out on your own and have them not be like, well, shit, everything I do has to be with, with that goal in mind. Right. This is, this is an important conversation. Um, I, and I, I kind of want to shift it a little bit to something more positive, uh, because we've been talking a lot about like, just negative stuff. Um, one of the things that has been really important for me in my journey through adulthood and, and dealing with, you know, my own mental health has been complimenting and, uh, being genuine truly with the people around me. Um, and one of the things that I do with that and, and you guys have been a, a recipient slash beneficiary of this. And some of my other like really close friends have too is that I compliment my dudes all the time. Like, you know, if, if my buddy, uh, in the, you know, he's client in the discord, if he posts a picture of himself, like with his kid or whatever, I'll tell him he's looking fucking good right now. Um, I'm not like, not, not, not because I'm attracted to him or anything like that, but like, you know, he's doing something good. He's hanging out with his kid. He's like, you know, cooking, whatever. It, it, I think that it's important to, for I think it's important for men to tell other men that they're doing okay. Um, I tell all of my really close friends that I love them. Uh, and I don't... Some of that comes from my parents, but a lot of that is just because I, I feel like men have a hard time hearing that from other men, and I want it to be something that is just normal. Like, I tell Brandon that I love him. I, I'll tell you, Eddie, right now that I love you. Like, Love you, man. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think that we don't, I don't even, I don't even know if it's just a men thing. I think it's more prevalent with men, certainly. But I think that we as a culture um, just don't say that we love our friends that much. Not enough, at least. Definitely not enough. Yeah. So can I just say at, at a random thing here? Just to piggyback off of that, the I remember, like I remember, not exactly where I was, but I remember that it was nighttime. I remember basically the moment in my life where Josh and I said that we loved one another, like for the first time. Is it sounds weird to say it like that, but like because it was such a monumental moment for me. Because I realized that this this was going to be okay to do that, you know. It felt like it was okay. Um, Josh is the first like non blood male I ever said that to, and um, it resonated to me like when I did it. You know, it resonated to to hear it or to read it because we did it in chat. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Because you sat back and it was like, what resonated the most was that it felt so 
right to do, that it felt easy, that it felt like it made sense and it didn't feel silly. It didn't feel fake. It just felt like, well, yeah, this is the natural progression of our relationship. Cool. Yeah. I mean, like to, to give context to people, uh, as far as our relationship goes, like I consider you to be my brother from another mother. Like I wouldn't have gotten back to Charleston when I did without you. Like that's a story that we still tell. And that shit was almost fucking 20 years ago, man. Like, you know, where we're calling random people from our stupid hobby and like we're high as fuck on yellow jackets and just like absolutely like (sighs) nutty and just, the one time I felt Eddie's presence physically. <laughs> and he's still oh. reeling. Yeah. And, and to like, okay. So one of, one of the other things that I really wanted to make sure that I got out in this episode, uh, a lot of the way that I approach my friendships with men, uh, was actually kind of forged by my mom. Um, and I, I realized I talked about my mom, a lot this episode, but it's, she's Fuck, been, dude. Yeah, we get it. You care about her, like yeah. No, she's been a big focal point of, of my <laughs> life. Just you know how it goes. Um, she was, you know, as I was growing up, she was really involved in who, like, my friends were. Um, and she was worried when we moved to Kentucky that like it was going to be harder for me to find friends than it was when I was a kid, just because like it's it you know different place. I'm I'm was different just in general. Uh, but fortunately, like I ran to the group with Eddie Trey and our other friend Marcus and, um, you know, she had her opinions about, about, about you guys. Um, but she was, there was one, one time, I don't remember how old I was when we were having this conversation, but she was like, you know, we were, t- we were talking about you guys and I, I don't know if like one of you had been over or we had had like a orchestra concert or something like that. And right. we were talking, we were talking about you guys and she was like, you know, you've got some interesting friends. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, Marcus to, to me, Marcus was like the super smart, funny one. Trey was the goofy one. And Eddie, you were the, the creative one. And she was like, no, no, no. She's like, Eddie is definitely the smartest and the most creative of, the, of all of you with, with the exception of maybe you. And I'm like, I, I'm always like 11 or 12 probably. And I was like, yeah. I was like, mom, I don't know. Marcus is really funny, right? Like back then it was gallows humor and bullshit oh yeah, for sure. And, and, Mar- and when it, when it came to that, like Marcus was very funny, but I, as I got older, I realized that like, she was fucking right. Like she, she called it. She was like, yeah, just make sure you, she was like, make sure you hang on to Eddie for sure. She's like, Trey's pretty cool, but make sure you hang on to Eddie. And I'm like, and I did like, Trey's you know, the sax guy. I mean, you know, that, that's what he was back in the day. He was, he was just, he was just doing some sax stuff and we were all just goof asses really. I mean, as, as kids are, but yeah, I just like, I wanted you to know that, that like, she loved you guys too. Like it, it's, I appreciate that. She was, she was a, a hard lady, uh, back then just because she was very invested in my future. And I think that that made her, uh, sometimes a little weird for my friends, but she loved you guys. 
that's going to do it for part one of our conversation on men's mental health. Uh, we decided to split this into two because it's just like a, an undertaking for sure. Um, we'll be back next week with part two of the conversation. And until then, thank you guys for listening. We so, so, so appreciate it. Uh, don't hesitate to join the conversation on discord.carolinasocialclub.com. Uh, where you can find all of us. You can find us on Twitter at Carolina SOC Club, and we will see you next week. Thank you again.